I just gonna say dick lawyer. It's so yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Friday, April 20th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and seriously indebted person, and with me today are Gordon Derrick, my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and Dutch tax victim and orange polo owner, and Paul Peters, a master student and book snob. So Gordon, I hear you're having some uh, tax trouble. I'm just having a bit of a tax uh, issue at the moment. I'm just in the process of uh, kind of challenging a tax bill I got from the Belastingdienst, uh, which uh, was, became quite a long, convoluted process. But anyway, it took me about three days to write out this uh, explanation of why um, I was disputing uh, the amount of tax they want to charge me. And that went okay. Um, I had to attach about a dozen documents. Um, and then the fun began because I logged in with my DigiD. <laughs> And this is where it all went chaotic. Have so, you, are you familiar with a book called uh, The Trial by Kafka? It's very similar to that, yeah. It's, it's kind of like a digital version of, um, of, of The Trial or The Castle. Uh, mixed, uh, yeah. Just all together. Mixed up all together. Uh, there's a list of, uh, tick box list of kind of 12 different reasons why you might be objecting to a tax bill. None of those applied. So I took the one that said Anders. And then I'd, um, and then there's a little window where you can uh, give your explanation for why you're challenging it. That was nothing like big enough. You only had 4,000 characters. So I put a little summary in that and then said see attached documents for full explanation but while I was uploading the documents the thing crashed of course it and when did. I logged back in it said thank you for submitting your tax application uh, <laughs> <laughs> minus all the documents that actually you know explain uh, what I was doing and it said you, you, you cannot open it now for another day so that's where I am. Okay. So eventually, maybe sometime in mid two thousand and twenty-two, I might actually get to file this. Uh, yeah. This complaint. Th- th- this complaint. So yeah. while you're uh, living in an actual Kafka book, uh, Paul, <laughs> what have you been reading recently? Uh, I've been reading the book by uh, former FBI director James Comey. Uh, oh, my my ex boss is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Something with loyalty. I don't know what the title yeah. is. Yeah, and you were telling me some fun excerpts, including one about a, a certain his his best uh, manager ever. Yeah, so I I thought it was a book on Trump, but apparently it is his literally it is his memoir. So I'm halfway through the book, and uh, he's been talking about his life, which I do not care about. That's not at why all. you bought the book. That's no. not why I bought the book. But uh, one of the the things he was talking about was uh, he talked about his manager of a supermarket where he worked when he was 15, and that that was the best leader he ever had, and that everything about leadership he learned from this manager. <laughs> I think anybody that says that the that they learned the most about something at the age of 15 and have not continued learning about that thing later are, are emotionally stunted human beings. Well, he, he talks about uh, everything he learned about. So it, it's not that he stopped learning when he was 15, uh, unlike Donald Trump. Right. right? <laughs> um, but if you read the book, I would uh, recommend that you just read the last three chapters that are on Donald Trump. That's the most interesting. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and, and so, Gordon, we, we had an, a, an additional job description for you because you've turned up today in this podcast in the ugliest shirt I have ever seen. We will be posting a photo of this on the Dutch News Instagram account so you can check out the uh, the photo. But uh, what what's the deal with the shirt, Gordon? It's an orange polo shirt that I uh, bought yesterday because I was out shopping. And, Where did uh, you buy it from, I bought, bought in, Well, I bought in the only place where you should buy your King's Day orange shirt, which is uh, Zeman. Yeah. Because if you're going to buy tack, you should go full tack. 
And why have you chosen to wear this horrendous shirt today? Well, I'm not here next week when it's the King's birthday, obviously, and it's King's Day. So uh, instead, I thought I'd wear it today because it's the King's Games where my children are running about at school instead of learning things. And of course, it's also Hitler's birthday. Right. So <laughs> It's an excellent reason to wear an orange polo shirt. Indeed. And, and Molly, how exactly did you end up having the lowest net worth on this podcast? Because I bought a house this week. Oh, congratulations. And now I owe the bank a ridiculous amount of money. Enjoy your debts. Thanks. I'm going to enjoy my debt. <laughs> In other news, let's talk about the weather for a moment, shall we? Yeah, because it's been really astonishingly it's, hot. It's oh. been, I know, all Dutch people have been complaining that it's yeah, too warm. Yesterday. Exactly. As soon as it gets over 23 degrees, the Dutch stop winding down the sun blinds and complaining about the heat. Yeah, yes. but it, and anything before like 23 yeah, degrees, exactly. it's too cold. It's too cold. And they're yes. complaining. It's never, yeah. it's never okay. No, no. no. But it was <laughs> yesterday was the hottest April 19th ever uh, in the Netherlands. And interestingly yeah. enough, last year it was the coldest April 19th. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit, bit of a coincidence. So spring has kind of been and gone. My tulips have come up and withered in the space for you about have five tulips? days. <laughs> yes. You I have tulips and an down. orange shirt. Look, I, I'm really pushing for this passport. <laughs> You're we'll even wearing wooden clogs right now. He really Brexit has been a bad thing for yeah. Gordon. <laughs> so even if you uh, forgot your sunscreen, though, you should get out and enjoy the sun today. Because uh, Health Minister Hugo de Jonga says that uh, you should take new warnings about the risk of alcohol and sunbeds with a pinch of salt. Or, as I prefer, a shout of your neighbour. Indeed. This is the health minister, right? Yes. So uh, saying there's nothing wrong with the odd drink or five-minute spell on a sunbed. Yes. Uh, in particularly because he was defending his own use of the uh, occasional use of a sunbed um, yeah. after a warning from a Dutch cancer charity. Yeah, he's probably, if you've ever seen Hugo de Jonga, he's about the same shade as my shirt. So. Yeah. 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 He's, he's maybe a shade or two lighter than Donald Trump yeah. is. Um, yeah, he actually said in the interview that if he stopped going to the sunbed, then people would say that he was uh, looking pale and like accused him of being <laughs> ill. Um, and he also said that he wasn't a monk, referring to uh, a report out last week suggesting that too much drinking too much alcohol leads to an earlier death. That uh, story uh, happened to be not true at all. Oh, really? Turned out yesterday, yeah. T- some journalists started to read the uh, report, the uh, scientific article, and they... Uh, figured out that that wasn't true at all. Well, it's not true that alcohol uh, makes you die early. I am uh, going directly to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> but more, uh, if the, the more alcohol you drink, the earlier you will die. I will re- let you read the article. Does it not, did not say s- that every every glass of wine takes half an hour off your life? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. Yeah. We're, 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 so it's not true that every glass of wine takes half an hour of your life. No. It was a shame because if, if you're lying on your deathbed and uh, and the curling quiz came on, then you might be able to just <laughs> short circuit it by by having a quick tipple. Yes, yes, yes. But I think uh, the the music of Franz Bauer has the same effect on your health <laughs> as uh, drinking too much alcohol. Uh, before we move on to the serious news, Paul, this is my favorite new segment in the podcast. Oh, is it? What was the ophef of the week? Well, the ophef of the week involves the Dutch singer Dotan. You're not familiar with him. I'm not familiar the, with him. The, n- nobody is. That's fine. Nobody wants to be familiar. Yeah. With him, that's uh, that's the thing. But a couple of months ago, a story went viral about uh, one of his fans who took his 15-year-old brother to one of his concerts. His brother was suffering from leukemia, and uh, Dotan heard about this and came to visit them in the parking lot of the concert hall. And by doing so, he, he gave the boy the best day of his life. That was what the story said. This story went viral, and, and a lot of media wrote about it. But the Volkskrant revealed on Saturday that none of this story was true. The Facebook account who originally published the story was one of the 140 fake accounts managed by either Doton or his management team. So, um, yeah, so that was the OPF of the week. Okay. But Doton himself uh, said, told the Volkskrant that he knew nothing about these fake accounts, right? No, except that uh, one of these fake accounts used his email address and yeah. his phone number. And he also made a video uh, for this um, serious boy who turned out not to exist. Yes. Yes. 
But he still knew nothing about it. Exactly. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about the country's immigration woes, from Brexit to Imburgering exam issues to too many foreign kids in schools. We'll bring you the latest employment data and tell you about a new show on Netflix. In our discussion, we'll do a deep dive into the Dutch drug underworld again. British citizens living in the Netherlands went to the Dutch Parliament on Thursday to voice their concerns about the impact of Brexit on their right to live and work in the EU. The Dutch government has said it's willing to modernise the rules on dual nationality, but it also warned it's making no direct promises to British nationals who currently have to give up their UK passport if they want to claim a Dutch one. The group Brexpats Hear Our Voice and the Three Million Group are also seeking guarantees on freedom of movement between European countries after Brexit and the status of their pensions. Also on Thursday, a group of British nationals who are looking to challenge Brexit through the European courts were back in court in Amsterdam. The Dutch state is appealing against an earlier ruling that referred the question of whether UK citizens can retain their EU citizenship after Brexit back to the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg. So precisely a year to go to Brexit, uh, how uh, is it working out? Not even a year, actually, about 11 months now. And oh. uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, probably about a 0.2. They <laughs> Judging by Gordon's desperation to get a Dutch passport by buying orange exactly, shirts by and I think it's going badly. And growing tulips in his garden. Yeah, that is a bad barometer. Yeah, um, yeah because they, they still haven't decided whether they want to or can stay in the customs union. They still haven't worked out the Irish border issue. They still, as we just heard, haven't agreed on reciprocal rights for British and EU. EU nationals living in each other's countries uh, and the clock's ticking quite hard. But lest anyone think that the British government has taken its eye off the ball, they have announced this week that they're going to ban plastic drinking straws. Yes. <laughs> so, and that, also they're deporting British citizens for, for being Brit- looking not British enough. It turns out they've been doing this for about uh, well, six or seven years since uh, um, a certain politician um, became Home Secretary uh, by the name of Theresa May. I'm not quite sure what happened to her but um, <laughs> she uh, introduced what she called a hostile environment for illegal immigrants, which basically said you had to produce all the paperwork that showed that you were um, entitled to live in the UK back for the last 50 years, otherwise you were at risk of deportation. Now, the problem is a lot of the, this covers a lot of people who come from countries that were British colonies, and so therefore they were born on British territory as British citizens and then moved to the UK and sort of thought quite reasonably that they, you know, that, that they didn't need to naturalise, and so they didn't. And then it turned out that, um, that they were viewed as illegal immigrants unless they could prove otherwise. And a fair number of people have been deported to Jamaica and other countries, even when they arrived in the UK as sort of at the age of two and have never been to Jamaica or the Caribbean uh, at any point since. And so obviously in the context of Brexit, this means the European Parliament are now, or Guy Verhofstadt, who's the European Parliament's Brexit coordinator, has piped up this week and said he's going to make sure that European citizens don't find that this is waiting for them in the post, say, 30 years down the line. So yeah, not a good environment in which to be negotiating your new relationship with the rest of the world. No, but but I, I can only hope that the whole Brexit debacle forces the Dutch government to allow people to opt into dual nationality so I don't have to marry my lovely boyfriend to get a Dutch passport. (laughs) So not only the Imburgering exams useless and impossible to pass, the system to take the correct ones and apply for residency is so complicated, the government often has to intervene. This is the finding of new research by the Verai Jonker Institute. By the way, had the government asked, I could have told them this, and we could have spent that time and money researching cures for cancer instead. Only 40% of people who have started the process in 2014 completed it by the three-year deadline, so that's 2017. Refugee organization Vluchtlingenberg, which commissioned the report, is calling on Social Affairs Minister Wouter Kolmes to change the system, which he has previously said that he has plans to do. While their parents are unable to pass the exams, their kids are taking over the schools in Amstelveen. 
The parole reported on Monday that there are so many children of expats, not to be confused with immigrants, of course, enrolled in public schools there that the paper claims there will hardly soon be any Dutch-speaking children in the school system, a fact which I find slightly hard to believe. Why are you so skeptical? So, going back to our complaints about the lack of quality data journalism... According to the paper, 500 new people moved to the city in 2008, but that number increased to 13,000 in 2017. However, the paper also says that by 2020, the school system is expected to have 3,000 so-called expat students in total, 1,500 in local schools and 1,500 in international schools. So either the population rise is dramatically skewed towards internationals without kids, or this is a bit of a misleading number. If you actually go look at the population data, which the Gemeente of Amstelveen puts together in like this actually super cool and easy to use chart. So it's like extra annoying that the parole could not get this correct. (laughs) You can see that like in the last decade, so since about 2007, the city has had 20,000 school aged kids. And so somehow I don't think that the 1500 or so is, uh, is, is quote taking over. No, I don't Mm. think so too. So perhaps you should become a data journalist for parole. Yeah. Well, they need, they need someone. Like I said, it was extra annoying because when I looked at this, I thought that the numbers seemed skeptical, but I was like, I don't have enough time to like put in an information request Mm -hmm. to the Gemeente Amsterdam to get all the data, but you don't have to. It's all on the website. Mm. It's all on the website in multiple languages. And it's like a super easy system to use. And you can just pick out all of the information you want. And it printed, I get, there's a chart. There's a chart in the notes that I just screenshotted from this showing exactly these numbers. It's a beautiful chart. It's, it's a, a beautiful chart. chart. Yeah, it's the best it's chart. Gone, though. Nobody's, I've not touched There was chart. definitely a chart. There was definitely I've seen a chart. chart. I've seen a chart too. I saw the chart. Another chart Where did the gone. chart go? The chart you is guys. Forum for Democratie leader Thierry Baudet this week broke off his party's alliance with Leifbau Rotterdam in an attempt to break the impasse in the city's coalition talks. Leifbau retained its position as the largest party after last month's local elections, but three of the parties that shared second place, GroenLinks, D66 and the PVDA, all refused to work with it because of the election pact with Forum for Democratie. Denk, which won four seats, is also not expected to enter into any coalition with Leifbau, which wants to restrict the number of Muslim shops. Links and the Fefe Day have now both appointed informateurs to sound out possible allies on the left and right, but a coalition without Leifbauer or a minority administration have not been ruled out. What, what, what was the point of this alliance in the first place between uh, Forum for Democratie and Leifbauer Rotterdam? I think the point of it was just uh, to make sure that, uh, well, I think Forum for Democratie basically agreed not to put up a slate of candidates in Rotterdam because Geert Wilders was already doing so and that would make a very crowded scene on the populist right. So Forum for Democratie was planning to also participate in the Rotterdam election? I, th- I don't know if they were thinking about how far they got in their thinking, but I think um, it, it was, they're basically. Or, or perhaps Leipzig Rotterdam just wanted to, uh, you know, uh, profit from the uh, popularity yeah. of Forum for Yeah, they did. And also, they, they, they did have a couple of, I think, you know, I think Baudet did, did make a few uh, supportive statements of Leipzig and do a couple of photo calls with your Steerman so that um, Leipzig could profit from the popularity of uh, Forum. Yeah, but there was um, no. There was no actual sort of formal, you know, um, elected any kind of formal alliance. It's not as if a forum were kind of. Um, it was only um, basically an endorsement from yeah. f- from Thierry Baudet for Leifbauer Rotterdam. Yeah, but because of, of this um, yeah, issue of um, um, a member of the forum um, making uh, statements about race and IQ that he didn't retract, the, the parties on the the left and the progressive parties at DCT six said uh, they weren't going to do any uh, de- uh, enter into any kind of um, coalition with Forum for Democracy or with Leifbauer Rotterdam. Yes, so Ophef in Amsterdam resulted in an impasse in Rotterdam. Yes, basically. Uh, 
Unemployment has fallen below 4% for the first time in a decade, according to the latest official figures from the CBS, and that's creating a shortage of trained staff in sectors such as construction and healthcare. Social Affairs Minister Walter Golmes said the government's priority was to ensure that people who are still looking for a job find one that suits them. Women are still more likely to be looking for work than men, but the gender gap is shrinking, says the CBS. So we're all employed here? Everybody employed? Yeah, uh, some sort of, yeah, uh, doing, doing uh, bits and pieces. I'm overemployed at the moment. <laughs> Do you want some of my work, Gordon? No, I'm overemployed no. as well. I've yeah, <laughs> so much pull. Paul, do you want to do some of my work? I'm so overemployed no. at the moment. Netflix announced its first Dutch production will take place in Amsterdam. According to the press release, it will be an eight-episode horror series about modern students in Amsterdam who accidentally find a portal to the demonic world of the Dutch Golden Age in the 17th century. According to producer Peter Kuipers, the series will refer to the ruthless history of the Netherlands upon which much of our current welfare and prosperity are built. The name and the cast of the series are yet unknown, but it will be released in 2019. Which is be quite a year for horror shows, because of course it's also the year of Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think Netflix can make an eight-part eight uh, horror horror series about uh, trying to log in to, with your DVD <laughs> to find your tax Yeah, complaint? I think that will be the sequel, yeah. <laughs> and after that, the horror series will be about Dutch cuisine. I really want this to just be an eight-part series based on the Dutch horror movie Sint, which is my favourite horror movie of all time. Did you actually watch that? Oh, I've watched it on multiple times mm-hmm. it's so good it's so bad it's so good yeah. <laughs> does it ever seem a whole load of uh, white nationalists block a motorway <laughs> well I mean all of the, everyone in the movie is a white person so basically that's every scene <laughs> In sport, PSV won their 24th Eredivisie title at the weekend and they did it in style with the 3-0 win at home against their great rivals Ajax. It's the first time the Eindhoven club have claimed the title in a match against the Amsterdammers whose supporters weren't best pleased and they blocked the team bus uh, when it tried to get back into the stadium uh, on Sunday evening. And, and it ended in a two-hour standoff uh, where club director Edwin van der Sar had to get off the bus and negotiate with the supporters until they agreed to leave. With three games to play, PSV are ten points ahead of Ajax, who have a five-point lead on third place as at Alkmaar. And uh, what about the other end of the table? Yes, in the battle to dodge a drop this week, Sparta Rotterdam took a big step towards survival by beating NRC at home, and that was really good news for Molly's favourite football manager. Dick Lawyer! Yes, proving you can't keep a good dick down, Stein Spearing hit a daisy cutter of a shot five minutes from the end of the game to secure the 2-1 win against NRC, and that's opened up a four-point gap above SA Twente and gives Advocat a good chance of staying in his job next season, and he celebrates the fact with a sort of little kind of uh, dance on the touchline. He was just standing up, it wasn't a dance. Jumping around and dancing, given that he's 70 years old and he's a and white Dutch. Dutch, he's a white Dutchman. That's <laughs> about as close to dancing as he's ever been. Good. I mean, it was yeah. it was much better quality dancing than you see at a normal at the, in a normal Dutch bar. It's definitely above average dancing quality for this yeah. country. I would concur. A rugby club in the North Holland town of Kastrikum had big plans to go green. Missing the financial means for double glazing, LED lighting and solar panels, the club decided to organise a charity auction, calling on its member to submit items that could be sold. To the surprise of the club, one member, who is not only a big rugby fan but also an art dealer, donated, in addition to some rugby items, two original lithographs by the famous Spanish surrealist painter Salvador Dali. The drawings were made in 1973 and only 250 of the prints exist and are expected to raise 3,000 euros each. The buyer of the lithographs will also get a free cooking book. Hmm. A surrealist cooking book? No, it is the cooking book for which the drawings were made. Ah, 
Sorry, there's a, it's, okay. an, it's an entire book full I of these kind of drawings. I kind of want to buy one of these. Yeah, oh, I, 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 I definitely like to have that cookery book. Yeah. With uh, Dolly Little Lithographs. Yeah. We'll be sure it's a realist cookie book. Yeah, as well. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll stir the pasta for 300 centuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mash the potatoes to death, bring mm-hmm. them alive, and then uh, yeah. boil them to Exercise death. Exercise them. That's not so much money. I could, in theory, save up for that. We'll be discussing the war on drugs in the Netherlands, again, after this word from our sponsors. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release and more, contact them at info at msqrd.com. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. During a police summit two weeks ago, the head of the National Police, Eric Alkeboom, and Justice and Safety Minister Ferdinand Krapperhaus expressed concern about drug use in the Netherlands. Alkeboom is worried about cocaine yogis, otherwise smoothie-drinking, yoga-doing 30-somethings who let loose on the weekend by doing a bunch of coke. Krapperhaus, meanwhile, is worried about violence and destruction caused by the drug trade, an industry estimated at 3 billion euros per year in the Netherlands. So, are there a bunch of vegan yogis snorting up on the weekend? Is the Netherlands really a narco-state? An administrative note, regular listeners will know that we had this discussion last week, but Paul deleted it in a moment of spite or stupidity, even he is not sure which. Either way, we're repeating it again for you this week. So first, there's kind of like two issues being discussed here. One is like the Dutch population using drugs, and the second is like the Netherlands as a hub for drug trade. And Eric Arkebom's concern seems to be that there's a bunch of uh, young folk who are in jobs or they're in school and college. They're getting up in the morning, so on time. They're going to their work, their college. They're being busy and productive. And then on a Friday night, uh, they, they they let themselves loose a bit. Yeah. And apparently, this is a this is a terrible thing. And uh, the fact that these people are you know are leading perfectly productive, well-regulated lives uh, is is an issue. Yeah, not just perfectly productive. They're also like drinking smoothies and eating vegan. Indeed, so they're, like, yes. they're like better than they're we healthy, are, basically. Yeah. According to there's a couple of reports that the sort of Dutch government puts out or the that, you know, NGOs put out. The Trimbos Institute publishes the annual National Drug Monitor Report. The 2017 report found that between 2014 and 2016, use of ecstasy, amphetamines, and cocaine did increase. Um, For ecstasy, this trend has been visible for some time, um, especially between 2009 and 2015, and it remains the most popular entertainment drug. Uh, The reason that's sort of given for that is that, you know, the economy came back up and it turns out more people want to do ecstasy when they have Mm. money to spend. So this is backed up by the European Monitoring Center for for drugs and drug addiction, which is my favorite way to to determine drug use in a country because they <laughs> test wastewater to see like how much how much drugs are in it. Um, so their latest study from 2016 shows that use of cocaine and amphetamines were up. The use of MDMA, it's sort of worth noting, is up, but it's unclear whether or not this is because it's more popular and more people are using it, or if because a more pure version has become more popular to use. So whether or not this increases just from concentration, they're not sure. On one hand, drug use is up. On the other hand, it, it's not really like hugely up. It, does, it doesn't seem to be some sort of 
dramatic shift. It's kind of a jagged line, isn't it? Yeah. Really? I mean, it does. Yeah, it goes it, up and down. It goes up and down, and it tends to go up and down seemingly. Yeah, like you said, with um, the economic conditions. So when uh, yeah, when the economy is not doing so well and people are out of work or earning less, and they do less drugs. Yeah. And uh, when things are going better and people have got more money to spend, yeah, they start having a little bit of a pick me up on a Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. 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 Compared to the rest of the EU, it depends a bit on the drug. So the Netherlands uses a lot more ecstasy, um, which I I like to blame on Afrojack. <laughs> Why exactly? <laughs> well, it's not Afrojack per se, but there it seems to be at least from the research that basically the Netherlands, as we all may know, like tends to produce a lot of the world's best DJs and a lot of parties where the like this sort of music is played, ecstasy is done. Um, so it seems to be maybe a bit more of like a cultural thing that this is like a thing that people do. The Dutch love to go like go to music festivals and that kind of stuff more so than other places in Europe. It also be because a large percentage of the MDMA in the world is pro- actually produced in the Netherlands. It might be it's produced because more people use it here or the yeah. other way around. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's a bit of a that, chicken and an egg question. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Despite the fact that the Netherlands does produce a lot of cannabis, it is sort of right in the middle for cannabis consumption. Um, so it sort of turns out that, uh, you know, Dutch people sort of smoke less cannabis than other countries, but more cannabis than, than some countries. They're sort of like right in the mm. middle. Compared to the rest of the EU, the Dutch use more cocaine and amphetamines, but less opioids. So it certainly is higher in some places and does seem like it's been a bit on the rise. I did not see any evidence in my research that there's a lot of people doing yoga and then doing <laughs> cocaine. Is it correlated? Yeah. No. I don't no. know. I do yoga myself um, and I have been a yoga practitioner for a very long time um, and I go to a lovely yoga studio here in Delft and I I would be completely shocked to find out that anyone there is doing cocaine in any way, shape, or form. And there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot in the way of, like, health effects. So... Um, in 2016, 2.9% of the Dutch population aged 18 and older had used ecstasy. So this is about 390,000 people. For cocaine, it's about 1.7. So it's about 230,000 people. Uh, amphetamine, it's about 1.4%, 180,000 people. So this isn't like a tremendously high percentage of the population. Compared to the rest of Europe mm. in the Netherlands, some, some drugs are used more often and some aren't. Yeah. But yeah. It, it is on the rise, right? Yeah, it, it, it does seem like it's a bit on the rise. It's a little unclear if that because drugs are becoming more popular or because as we talked about earlier in the podcast like the unemployment rate is going down like people just use drugs more recreationally when they have more money to spend Mm. it's pretty much like all other forms of entertainment right yeah. but like movie ticket sales netflix and, and bar tabs alcohol is all yeah, yeah. been on the rise since the recession has yeah. ended but the point that clapper house i think was making was that he was worried that um, the netherlands has become uh, one of europe's biggest drug producers and yeah. the police are trying to make this link between drug production and obviously that is um, in the hands of uh, the underworld and causes all kinds of uh, you know social unrest and that uh, if there's a lot of there's more drug use in the country and that's kind of fueling and supporting the uh, the illegal drug industry They're saying that if you if you have lots of people taking recreational drugs they should be aware that they're they're funding uh, you know the, the, these gangsters who also go out and uh, carry out assassinations and are involved in you know uh, things like uh, illegal prostitution and people trafficking and all the rest yeah that is that is definitely true um you know people who are engaged in criminal enterprises tend to not be super nice to their fellow human beings uh, according to the telegraph the illegal drug trade in the netherlands is a three billion euro industry it's about 24 billion euros across europe so it is a, a chunk but not a majority the netherlands is the largest producer of cannabis which isn't surprising and ecstasy so again i, I blame that on afrojack <laughs> yeah there's not actually clear data on whether or not that this production level is like increasing the netherlands does tend to be a pretty popular transit point but that has a 
lots more to do with the physical location, right? Like the biggest port in Europe is in Rotterdam. And so a lot of, you know, cocaine and that kind of stuff come in from other places and as comes in, comes into Europe, like through the Netherlands, um, which, you know, unless they're gonna, unless global warming exists and all of a sudden Germany gets a beach border, then, you know, this is probably just like not a thing that's gonna change. Drug use and drug crime also seems to be a bit stagnant. Some places it's gone down. So the CBS um, published a report in 2016, which focused on complaints about the drug trade. We can link to this in the liner notes. I recommend no one reads these reports. They're extremely <laughs> long. Their study found that 5% of the population in cities with a population larger than 70,000 people um, have experienced nuisance from drug trafficking or drug use. So this includes things like witnessing drugs deals, crimes related to drug use like theft. But these numbers have actually declined um, between 2013 and 2016. Mm. So that's the years that this report focused on. In Maastricht, for example, drug-related complaints dropped by half. Um, in Maastricht and The Hague, drug-related offenses. So this is like crimes related to drugs, breaking and entering, that kind of stuff, decreased also during this period. There's some other cities, Sittart, Skidam, for example, it stayed pretty stable. So this sort of seems to indicate that like drug trade hasn't been substantially increasing or if it has been increasing, it has not been increasing in such a way that like the externalities of drug use are really being witnessed by like the population. If you take drugs, then you are supporting these kind of criminal activities and also these uh, uh, yeah, you are endangering basically the, the, the rest of the public because yeah. these criminals, they they are, uh, uh, they just shoot each other without without blinking yeah. their eyes. Yeah. yeah, but the issue is then, do you go down what um, the police seem to be uh, uh, encouraging, which is going down a more kind of pro restrictive prohibitionist route? Because we know in the, from, from history that that doesn't really work as yeah, a policy. Al Capone, Al Capone yeah. would like to, tell, to point out to <laughs> yeah. all of us that prohibition Yeah, prohibition is a really bad idea. It's really <laughs> impractical. But, you know, not in the past, and we've seen over the last 40 years that the, the, the Netherlands has been a country that's tried to sort of um, come up with alternative solutions and things like uh, legalising cannabis uh, in certain restricted control conditions in coffee shops but it's always it's sort of got halfway and then kind of got stuck and then actually you found that uh, you know, it hasn't hasn't had the desired effect of taking uh, drug production and, um, and, and and distribution out of the hands of the criminals because of course coffee shops famously c can sell uh, small amounts of cannabis um, well semi-legally but they can't actually buy it legally Yes. so the, the, the illegal gangsters are still in the trade and actually because you've now got a legitimate outlet um, for soft drugs you find it has the opposite effect from what's what's intended Yes. So you know, we're now at this kind of crossroads situation, I think, where, you know, you decide, do we want to go back down the kind of war on drugs road, which is sort of what Copperhouse seemed to be advocating in veiled terms? Or do you actually put push on what does a lot of local authorities want to do and you know, try and create a legal supply route? for um, coffee shops uh, so that uh, so the gangsters uh, have less opportunity to to make money and cause mayhem. I tend to be pretty sympathetic to the decriminalization, legalization argument. I don't think that I have seen a lot of evidence that, you know, heavy-handed prosecutions of end users of stuff has done anything to deter people from using drugs. I, I get a little prickly at the idea that we're going to sort of blame someone who has purchased some sort of drug illegally for, for the violence that's being committed by drugs organizations organizations. You know, there there is some discussion about allowing local municipalities to to grow and license marijuana growers and that kind of stuff. And I, I suspect that, you know, this will become what is the norm, right? That like at some point in the future, what we're going to see is basically you just are growing marijuana like any other like crop. And at some point it becomes so normalized that like, you know, no one is murdering each other over growing hops, basically. Like, well, you know, you're not going to murder each other over growing marijuana. You know, some of the harder drugs, it's a little bit harder to, to say exactly, but I, I think it's pretty obvious from most of human history that, you know, some 
population of of human beings is always going to want to take mind-altering substances and that it doesn't seem to me that we can do a whole lot sort of fighting against like this natural inclination to do this by like banning these substances Mm. it does not seem to have worked for most of history and that i think we would be much better off devoting our time and energy and resources towards you know locating people who are susceptible to drug addiction and that Mm. kind of stuff and trying to to prevent these problems from happening and the other great advantage is if you legalize the production, uh, su- uh, supply and distribution of drugs, then you can tax it. And yeah. you can, you know, and that means that you can then reinvest the money because, you know, drugs are bad for health and there's consequences for their public costs because you have to treat people. But you can actually invest that money in, in treatment programs and in, you know, in, in, uh, and in um, offsetting the costs um, of, uh, of of drug use. Yeah, we're stopping the gas production in Groningen, so we need this money. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to come here, from this is, yeah, we tell yeah. the finance minister, here is how you make up your budget deficit. <laughs> from Kroninger tax dollars, tax cocaine. So just a, another administrative note, next week, uh, Friday, when we normally record the podcast, is King's Day. Um, so, of course, we will all be day drinking and buying ki- cheap, kitschy stuff. Uh, except including for, orange shirts from in, Zaman. Including No, not from Zaman. I'm going to buy it from <laughs> a euro on the street from some small child. Oh, even better. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gordon will not be here, so Paul and I are going to record on Thursday evening, so the podcast will actually go up on Thursday night. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our podcast feed, give us a rating, and share it. My thanks to Paul Peters and Gordon Derrick. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. Friday, April 20th. Happy birthday, Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I was joking. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. Fuck. We we all are Hitler fans. (laughs) I was going to say, the the kids aren't having the sports day on uh, the king's birthday, but instead on Hitler's birthday. And Hitler's birthday.